0: It's a matter of time for organizations that have limitless funding to invest in research. It's just a matter of time before they find that right solution set that ultimately disrupts us.
1: Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. Personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real world examples of challenges faced, and industry specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes.
0: This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at DisruptiveInnovations.net.
1: Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Leo Bodin. Leo, it's a pleasure to have you on. David, thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to our conversation today. Me too, man. For those of our listeners who don't know, Leo, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Absolutely. My
0: name is Leo
1: Bowden, as you mentioned. I am the
0: Group Vice President and Chief Digital and Technology Officer for New York Presbyterian. For those that don't know, New York Presbyterian is the University Hospital for Columbia Medical School and Weill Cornell Medicine. So we have two Ivy League organizations that we partner with to provide services for our patients.
1: Yes, I'm a huge fan. So, Leo, I want to get into your personal backstory and a little bit about your current role, obviously, as well. But we like to start out with one piece of actionable advice you'll look to leave with our listeners today.
0: Sure. And this was one that really big for me when my old boss, Nab, was my new boss as of seven years ago. As a technologist, pretty much my entire career since 1995, I always thought tech was about tech, especially in healthcare. And what I've come to learn over the last seven years, but should have known well before then, is that healthcare technology is more about the people than the technology. It really is. The technology itself is the easy part. It's the people that you need to spend most of your time focused on. And so people and, and change
1: management is most of what I do now. Most of what I focus on now. That resonates with me 100%. But before that, Leo, I want to share with our listeners, where did you start out and how did you get to being the chief technology and digital officer of a huge health system in New York? I love sharing this story
0: because I never intended to go into technology. I certainly never intended to go into healthcare. All I ever wanted to do was be a fighter pilot. So I actually went into the Air Force Academy. I was in the Air Force for almost two years. Then I left and had to figure out what I was gonna do with my life. I had a number of majors. I did pre-med, I did engineering. And at the time, this was back in 1995, one of my professors said, hey, you seem to be pretty good with technology. Why don't you change your major to computer science? And so I did change my major to computer science. As I'm getting closer to graduation, I realized I had no experience. And so I walked into New York Presbyterian, Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center at the time and asked for an internship. I received an interview. They liked me, I loved them. And I worked as a volunteer for about nine months, the first nine months of my career. I was very fortunate to have gone into healthcare, actually into IT back in 1995, because it was just exploding. And then right. was having the opportunity to work at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, where you had some of the brightest minds in technology at the time, I, mean, I could not be more fortunate. So some of my mentors were the people that connected the 14th node on the internet. And these were the people that were educating me on technology and what you should think about, what you should do. And so I feel very, very fortunate to have come in when I did. And every time that I thought of a new opportunity or thought that things should go a different direction. The organization has backed me up. And so 15 jobs later, I'm the chief digital and technology officer for New York Presbyterian.
1: So your tenure has been spent with New York Presbyterian that whole time? Almost 28 years this summer. Correct. Wow. I mean, I think that's also a testament to the culture there, I would argue as well. I mean, my mother-in-law has been a nurse there for almost 25 years.
0: Yeah, and the- it's not an
1: uncommon story from what I, I understand. Is-
0: it is not an uncommon story. And, and certainly when I came in, it was it was even more common. I am very impressed with how focused NYP is on its people, on developing its people, investing in its people,
1: and ultimately having someone like me have the opportunity to be where I am today. So Leo, along your journey, what's one of the most important things that you've learned in life personally or professionally and what was life like before learning it and after learning it
0: that's a heavy one and you know i've spent a lot of time thinking about that I think is is what's allowed me to grow in my career i would say it begins with perspective recognizing the differences in perspective when i talk to my team i always use this meme You can find it on the internet. You just do a Google search on perspective and you write nine and six or six and nine. And essentially it's two cartoon characters looking at a six or a nine facing them. And one is arguing that it's a six, the other one is arguing that it's a nine. And as an outsider looking at it from 10,000 feet, you recognize very quickly where the disconnect is. And early on in my career, I didn't spend a lot of time pausing to try to understand that. One of the best opportunities that I ever got as a technologist was to take on the biomedical engineering team. And the reason was technology was changing in biomedical engineering, and the teams did not understand general technology. They are some of the best technologists that I ever met, but they're more analog than digital. They know how an MRI works. They know they are physicists in their own right. They know how an x-ray machine works, how a CT scanner works, how an infusion pump, physiologic monitor. They're very, very bright people, but when it comes to general IT, they just didn't recognize it. And so my organization, again, gave me another amazing opportunity. And I actually said, I'm gonna go in there, I'm gonna fix it overnight. And I have to say, I was humbled by what I learned almost moments after coming in, just how bright these folks were. And I also had the opportunity to witness disagreements between these very bright people who, on one side you have analog, and they have one perspective, on the other side you have digital, and there's another perspective. I was fortunate that I grew up during an analog age, but I transitioned quickly to digital. And I got to sit there and witness how they're saying the same exact thing, but arguing with each other. And so I think if there was anything that I brought to the table, I was able to recognize the personal perspectives, team's perspectives, and then translate for the other teams to ensure that we paused and trusted and respected each other in order to move the ball forward, to move as a unified group. And then along those same lines, and this was something that how it was more simply translated by my old boss, it was the term MRI. And the term MRI stands for most respectful interpretation. We tend to cause issues for ourselves when we make assumptions of what someone was intended, what message someone was intending to convey and waste too much time unnecessarily. And so taking that, I think for me,
1: has been career-changing experience. Wow. That perspective, it's just so huge. And you mentioned people as we started out. And a huge piece of what we do from an OCM standpoint is really listening to people across an organization who are saying things slightly differently, but so often have a very, very similar vision and basically just translating it into a language that everyone can appreciate. And the other thing that I thought of when you are talking about perspective, and it's different, a little more heady, but this story of the Tao farmer and how his horses run away, but then his horses come back and they bring more horses. Then the wild horses break his son's leg, but then the army comes and they can't take him or his son into the army. All along these townspeople are saying, oh, that's awful. Oh, that's great. And it just goes to show that I have no idea. I mean, especially with things that are completely out of my control. So to to get worked up, I need to practice kind of that radical acceptance. And that perspective is so huge. It's such a good reminder. Leo, how about one of your biggest challenges or a failure, if you will, that sticks out in your mind as something you learned a lot from? So my biggest personal
0: challenge had to do with the why I left the Air Force Academy. Like I mentioned before, when we started the conversation, I only wanted to do one thing and one thing only, and that was to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to graduate from the Air Force Academy, and I wanted to serve my country as a career. At the Academy, I didn't apply myself. I lost sight of my objective, ultimately ended up being dismissed for academic deficiency. As a 19-year-old, that was the biggest mistake that I had ever made, and it changed my life forever. I actually, I went back for a master's later in life, and I remember telling my wife that I was going to graduate number one, And the reason I wanted to graduate number one from my MBA program was to erase the ghost that was still walking with me. And as I'm giving the valedictory speech after graduation, I look behind me, and there's that ghost still standing there. And so that ghost is there for a couple of things. One, to remind me that I made a huge mistake, and also to remind me that that was the best and worst thing that could have ever happened to me. On one side, I lost my dream, and it was horrible. It took me three years to recover from it. On the other side, I learned humility. I learned that hubris has no business in leadership. I think I would have probably been a great officer, but never would I have been a humble leader. And that's certainly not where I am today. And so having lost that was life changing for me. It was a game changer. And just last week, actually, when I was sharing this story with some new leadership that joined the organization, one of my colleagues called out, hey, you have to recognize that so much you've been able to do so much. who knows what would have happened had you stayed and and he's right. But in my formative years, there was only one thing that I ever wanted to do. Still to this day, when I see fighter jets flying, my heart skips a beat.
1: And so I'm always reminded of that big mistake that I made once upon a time. Wow. And it's amazing that you learned that lesson about hubris that early on at 19. I mean, it took me far longer for that to set in. I had a family event happen that it really struck me that this striving for success like was completely meaningless if I didn't have my family to enjoy it with, right? It just would be completely empty. It's great that you had that experience. And the way I interpret it is that that those types of things that have happened in my past, like I won't regret it or shut the door on it, because I can personally benefit from it, and then I can use that experience about sharing that story to hopefully benefit others along theirs. Leo, I wanna talk a little bit about your current role at New York Presbyterian. Before we jump into that, we like to ask, favorite book or literary piece? Sure, so I have two, and it's funny that you talked
0: about the things that you can't control. So my favorite author, is John C. Maxwell. If he writes it, I read it. And as I started growing in my career, I would always find these self-help books. My favorite quote from John C. Maxwell was one that gave me so much freedom, because it made me realize how much time I wasted worrying about things that I have no control over. And so if it's okay, I'll read it for you. He's quoted as saying, why worry about things you can't control when you can keep yourself busy controlling the things that depend on you? So that quote is always with me. I waste no time thinking about things that that are outside of my control. And so I was happy that you brought that up. And then as far as my favorite book, probably for different reasons than most people read the book, is The Richest Man in Babylon. And I don't know if you know, or for those that don't know. This was actually one of the books that inspired Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was written by George S. Classen. And one reason, the main reason I love that book, more than talks about the seven cures for a lean purse. So really, it's about money management or the main focus right. this is money management. But why I love that book, it's set 5,000 years ago. And in those days, you had, of course, you had slavery and you can sell yourself into slavery you could buy your freedom back from slavery and in the book they follow a character that was a very very hard working slave and he was able through hard work through really hard work he was able to buy back his freedom and then he is one of the richer folks at the end of the book and so that always reminds me of the importance of work ethic and how really as long as you're working hard, it's very difficult for anyone to fail. And I see that time and time and time again, regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, one of the hardest working people on the planet is Elon Musk. And you can see how successful he's been obsessed with work. I'm not saying that everyone's got to be an Elon Musk, but certainly through hard work, you can certainly persevere.
1: 100%. My wife's Parents immigrated to the United States 30 years ago, didn't speak a lick of English, started working at a law office with folks who did speak the language, learned the language. Her mom has been a nurse at New York Presbyterian, as you know, for almost 25 years now. And her dad started buying and restoring, flipping properties. And now they own multiple properties in Williamsburg. It's just like you said, that work ethic and that drive and you could really do anything.
0: Since you shared about your family, we moved hear from the Democratic public. I should have probably shared this in the beginning when I was 10 years old.
1: I knew how to count to 10. That was the extent of the English that I spoke way back when. So now you're the CTO and chief digital officer at New York Presbyterian. What's your vision for IT and digital as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization?
0: Sure. And I actually, you know, as I was thinking about that, I had to steal the vision from a newly hired COO who put everything into perspective for us a couple of weeks ago as we were just getting to know each other. As he described it, I just felt it was perfect for all of us, for us to use that vision. And essentially what that vision is at NYP is to be the best place to receive and give care in the world, period. So everything that we do is with that in mind. And But I can't say that those were my words. Dr. Paresh Shah, who recently joined us as our COO for our Cornell sphere, was the person that came up with that phraseology.
1: Love it. What are some of the key initiatives that you're focused on that kind of roll up to that overarching vision?
0: So key initiatives, we want to set ourselves up, we want to create frictionless care. And so over the past couple of years, we've been focusing on digitizing our front door, simplifying access for our patients. It was interesting. And, and I know that You didn't have an opportunity to mention it once we started recording, but it was interesting that you said how easy it is for you to get services from our organization through digital media. The reality is that I can't say that it is easy for most. It is actually very difficult for most at our organization. A couple of years ago, you needed to know someone in order to get access to services. And so what we're doing is creating, working on an omni-channel strategy to simplify access for our patients through whatever medium they want to come We also want to make sure that, regardless of which way they come in, if they need to switch channels, they're able to switch from one channel to another as seamlessly as humanly possible. That is a key initiative for us as an organization and one that we're spending a lot of time and resources working through.
1: Huge lift for an organization of your size. Something that is not uncommon, to say the least, in the healthcare industry right now. I actually probably have had 20 conversations in the last like two months about organizations that are sifting through stuff like that. What are some of the biggest challenges that you'd say you guys are facing right now as an organization, Leah? Sure. And it goes
0: back to the very beginning change management what we're trying to do right now requires a tremendous amount of change and we're doing it off the heels of the pandemic and so we've had a brain drain we've lost a lot of very very good people that have been with us for many years that understood the politics the processes where the skeletons are buried so we lost a right. lot of people and we're trying to rebuild the same structure with folks that don't have the historical information. So along all of that happening, we're then asking them to change how they do business. So this is really more than a technology initiative. As I mentioned before, the tech is the easy part. It's a change. We have the capabilities, the tools are there, but we have to make sure that our people are educated, know how to use them and want to use them. That's going to be probably, I'd say, over the next 12 to 36 months is going to be our biggest focus.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned this when we first started out, but the complexities of having an academic element to your business as well are state by state. I mean, it's just vast. I mean, it's, that adds a whole nother layer of complexity, I'm sure. So the growth also adds a
0: layer of complexity. We grew quite fast. We, in some cases, don't realize just how big we are. I like to tell people that we're like a baby lion that's beginning to realize that it's a lion and it goes out on its first hunt. And it's not until that lion pounces on a wildebeest that it realizes, ooh, I'm a lion. (laughs) (laughs) That is our reality right now. We're we're still learning who we are. Again, I'm very hopeful that we'll get there quickly and by quickly, again, 12, 36 months, but it's going to be work
1: from beginning to end. 100%. It's great that you guys are well on your way on the journey. I know that you are. And you touched on some of the mentoring that you clearly give your team a little bit earlier. What about some of the best practices that you and your team follow?
0: Philosophically, I'm an
1: infrastructure person. And with any infrastructure person,
0: everything begins with a rock solid foundation. And so when my teams and I start talking through what we're going to do, whether it's people, process, or technology, is really defining what that best what the most
1: solid foundation is going to be before we mm-hmm. get things going i love that i identify with that because with anything that we do as well we look to try to identify that existing framework at the base that work and how do we build off of that and not reinvent the wheel where we don't have to there's
0: the idea or the need to eliminate waste or access, right? when you're building these types of foundations, you want to make sure that you don't have any extras, because those extras will fail. If you have a tertiary process, that process will fail. If you have a tertiary or additional pieces of equipment, everything fails. And so we need to expect that whatever we put in will fail at one point or another. And so the less we do, in that sense of the word, the better position we are, if there are adjustments that need to be made.
1: It's so cool, Leo, to see someone like yourself who came from that technical infrastructural background, who is really totally made that jump into this executive leadership role where it is people process methodology. But being able to take those principles and apply them in this way, I mean, is such a like dual threat, so it's really neat to hear about. So I I,
0: I do feel very fortunate that I was able to start the way I did and that the organization trusted me to make the transition.
1: How about some of the most innovative things that either you guys are working on right now? I mean, the initiative that we just mentioned is huge, but that you're either working on right now or that are on the horizon for New York Presbyterian.
0: Sure, So first I'll start saying, and not knowing some of the folks who will be listening, we are fortunate that over the past five, seven years, we've been over-focused on standardization. We yeah. actually kicked off a relentless standardization initiative seven years ago. And so now we're at a point where we're standardized on our EMRs, we're standardized on the technologies leveraged by all our ologies radiology, neuro cardiology, et cetera. So with all that standardization, it actually has opened the door for us to leverage other things. And so one that I am eager to to track is how we're leveraging AI for clinical decision support. As an organization, we kicked off an initiative to overlay AI on our OB monitoring to allow or to provide support for our caregivers who are monitoring our most at-risk patients. And we just went live with one hospital last week. We expect to be fully live across all our hospitals by the summer, and then it's going to be measuring our level of success. But the idea there with this, this AI platform is to really allow the the clinicians to provide the care at the bedside and not be obsessively concerned about what is that noise, what does that noise mean in the background, which is something that you hear whenever you walk into an OB unit, an ICU, any one of our central stations or nurses stations. And so that's a focus for us this year. Then we talked a little bit about the digitization of our front door. So leveraging our tools and just very quickly, without going into a lot of detail, so leveraging Epic, Salesforce, an AI platform that we have for patient communication called Syllable, Cisco, and a number of other technologies to simplify access for our patients with the objective, again, to eliminate friction for our patients trying to access our services. So those are two examples of what I feel are fairly innovative initiatives. Innovative. There are a lot of industries that are doing far more. But in healthcare, I would argue that those are fairly innovative initiatives that I think are going to be game changers in the next couple of years.
1: 100%. And quickly, we delivered both of our daughters at Alexander Cohen. Shout out to Alexander Cohen. Just such an amazing... When you mentioned OB, I thought of them and just a tremendous facility the nurses the doctors were just all fantastic so and when you talked about the ai assisted kind of freeing the the caregiver up to focus on that compassionate experience that also translates to i thought of patient access right so often these individuals in our patient access centers are they're trying to verify who's on the line then they're trying to look up their records then they're trying to Work on through multiple tools, and it doesn't allow them really to be present there with the patient, right? Because they're doing their job. But how can we leverage technology integrations like you guys are doing to automate so much of that so that when the patient calls in, all of that information is already populated, the patient's already verified, and they can just concentrate on delivering a compassionate experience?
0: That point, David, is also thinking through the entire patient journey to ensure that you're simplifying every step of the way.
1: 100%. Very cool, Leo. So, where do you see the healthcare industry going in the future? Obviously, a lot of changes right now. What do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes?
0: It's interesting. I am a pessimist from the provider perspective. I think Mm -hmm. health
1: is going to improve
0: drastically. I think there's, we're in the middle of major disruption going on in healthcare right now. I mentioned for me, best time to go into the IT field. The IT industry was back in 1995 when I came in. I truly believe that the best time to be in healthcare IT is right now. And the reason is all the disruption that's going on now. With all that disruption comes entrance. There is creative destruction that could potentially change the landscape for healthcare organizations. How we make money, essentially finance our services, is changing, and we have to change with that. What does that mean? I think payers are getting more access to information. The regulations are changing. We're being more transparent, which we have to because we're doing this for our patients. But with all that transparency, the payers will have access to information that then they can leverage to adjust nudge where patients could potentially go. This is a lower cost, high quality or similar quality provider, shift services to that provider or the other provider. It's a finite number of patients that you're servicing. And so really it's gonna be the lower cost, highest quality providers that have an edge. And so that's one piece. The other one, and this one is why I stay in healthcare, working for a provider, because I would like for that solution to come from us versus like an Amazon or a Google. The Reality is it's a matter of time for organizations that have limitless funding to invest in research. It's just a matter of time before they find that right solution set that ultimately disrupts us. I'll share with you one last piece. When Amazon acquired One Medical, my heart stopped for a second because while that's good for Amazon, could in theory be good for patient care in the long term, it's not good for us. Going head to head with Amazon, us being a $10 billion organization, them being a trillion dollar organization, I don't know that David wins out. No pun intended.
1: <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right, man. It's funny. I have a slide in our most recent deck for in Servio about there will be winners and losers. And right now, one medical is winning. Summa Health. They're poised. Now, it's like you said, they haven't figured it out yet, but it's only a matter of time. And it's kind of a race for health systems that haven't built out that they weren't built in the cloud. They weren't built on integrated platforms. They don't have a single source of truth. Thank God you guys went through that standardization effort seven years ago, because there's still folks that are trying to figure that out. That's really tricky when you're trying to figure that out and figure the rest of it out at the same time. Like you said, disruptive time in healthcare in general, for sure. And now that said, it also, because we've seen a lot of, in addition to like companies like Amazon and Walgreens, which you hope have the right intentions for healthcare, also a lot of private equity money flying around, particularly in behavioral health. And that's tricky, right? I mean, I don't know about the quality of care. And, but that's one of the reasons I'm excited to see that kind of transition to value-based care and how that impacts the folks that are doing it right, so to speak. And I believe New York Presbyterian is one of those organizations. So if you could go back five, or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self?
0: I would probably, and this is something that I learned later in life, give people an out always. I mentioned before, I was a technologist. I was an engineer slash architect. I wasn't very good at not winning arguments. I would come into conversations so prepared, not allow people any wiggle room. And, and I took pride in it. And I think it got in the way for many, many years. It got in the way of my own self-development, my growth, because people would get nervous and shut down and skeletons don't come to light. And so it was actually a mentor of mine many moons ago, 15 years ago, who gave me that bit of advice. Leo, you don't have to win every argument. You need to learn to give people in and out. And I understood by what she was saying, the why she was saying it. And what's interesting about that, as well as my career had gone up until that moment, it was like a slingshot after that, because I don't have to win the argument. I already know what your position is. I don't even have to say we will agree to disagree. We can just disagree. And it changed.
1: It absolutely changed the trajectory of my career. I love that. I don't even need to argue, period, basically.
0: I know your position. And and that's all that matters. And we're good to go. And it makes it. for amazing relationships, by the way.
1: For sure. I could see that. So cool. Leo, thank you so much for being on. It was an absolute pleasure. Same here. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes.
0: This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.